I'm kind of a stand-in for Mark tonight. He wasn't sure that he was going to be able to get in tonight, so he uh, asked me to uh, step in for him, but then he was able to come at the last minute. So, But I'm going to be sharing some things uh, tonight, a little bit about uh, treasure hunting. Has anybody ever been on a treasure hunt? Yeah, what kind of, tre what kind of treasures did you find? Oh, now that goes back a long ways. Easter eggs. What other kinds of treasures? Huh? What? Who found gold? Who, was, who went treasure hunting, hunting and found gold? That's what I want to hear about. What? Where'd you find that? So, you found a ring or what? Oh, wow. What other treasure did you find? Somebody back here said they, they found, went treasure hunting and found something. Who was it back here? I found candy. Oh, okay. Well, that's sort of a treasure, I guess, if you have a really sweet tooth. Let me... I wish I had a um, video projector where I could share some pictures, but I don't. I'm just going to have to, I had to print off some pictures, so you'll just have to, uh, we'll go low tech tonight. But let me share one of my treasures. I'll pass this around. This, this picture is almost 100 years old. So it might, but what it is, my, my mother, Aaron's grandmother, found this some time ago. Can you see what it is? I'll go ahead and pass it around. It's... It's my grandfather, and it's almost 100 years old, and it's a picture of him on a 1910 Harley-Davidson. <laughs> and that's, now, I, I grew up riding motorcycles, and I have one in the garage, and so to me, that was a pretty cool picture. But the neat thing, and, I, and of course, I framed it. That was, I was really proud of that. But then my mother starts telling me this story. says, oh, yeah, I remember that Harley-Davidson. It says, oh, really, when you're really? Oh, no. Grandpa had that in the shed up until just, she starts describing this, how she had this Harley Davidson in the shed. It says it was old and it was rusty up on the wall. And I go, you're kidding. Grandpa has a Harley Davidson, a 1910 Harley Davidson on the wall? It says, yeah, I, I, I think it's still there somewhere. So my brother and I freaked out and went and looked and come to find out my uncle thought it was junk and threw it away. You know what a 1910 Harley Davidson is worth? $500,000. $500,000. And they threw it away for junk. So it was kind of a happy day, kind of a sad day. And it's almost one of those things you wish you didn't know, because then you just spend the rest of your life kind of sitting around worrying about it. But treasure. The idea of being, and what I want to talk tonight is about being a, uh, a treasure hunter. And what is treasure? There was a, uh, because it's something that's it's near and dear to God's heart as we talk about what a treasure is. One of the most amazing uh, treasure finds uh, of all time happened in, uh, in Texas. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, okay, let's, let's hear it. All the Texans, Mark and all those guys. But it happened out in West Texas. Uh, at a ranch was owned by a Mr. Yates. And at this, it was, now West Texas, there's nothing to brag about West Texas. It's just rocks. There's hardly any vegetation. You know, about every three or 400 yards, there's one little piece of grass sticking up, you know. And, uh, but it's mostly rocks. And this, uh, there was a goat rancher who had uh, a lot of rocks and uh, not, not much grass and a few goats and barely eking out a living. And uh, one ge geologist came through and says, you know, there's a possibility. I think there might be oil here. Would you care if we look for oil? Oh, yeah, go ahead. 
So this is in 1926, they decided to drill a little hole in the ground. And out of, out of, this, out of this hole in, in the ground, they, and the guy who did it, he spent basically his life savings trying to do this. He spent everything he could. It's like, I really believe something might be here. They drilled this hole, got down to 1,000 feet, and, you know, you've seen the pictures where oil gushes out. And basically, uh, they, uh, doesn't mean a lot to you, but they had a well where about 500 barrels a day were coming out of the ground. That's about $250,000 a day in 1926. That's like millions today. But they started drilling more wells and more wells. They, built five, they drilled 510 wells back then and to the point where they're making $26 million. Mr. Yates was making $26 million, $260 million a year back then. And to, to date, it's still pumping. It's, it's pumped over 1 trillion barrels. That's $70 a barrel. 1 trillion barrels of oil from that one place. So was that a pretty good find? Yeah. That was a treasure. That, Texas, yeah. Where's your oil well, Mark? <laughs> yeah, in heaven. There you go. That's the point I'm talking about. But, you know, as we, th we think about it, what, are, what other treasures? Uh, when, I, when I was growing up, you've probably heard of Walmart. Now, where, you, where you've, uh, you laugh at that, but when I was in high school, nobody ever heard of Walmart because it wasn't that big. Now, it was in Arkansas. That's where it started, in Batesville, Arkansas, which is up in the Ozark Mountains, hillbilly country of Arkansas. And a little bitty town of 5,000, there's a little store called Walmart, started by the name, a guy by the name of Bill Walton. And as he... Uh, started this, if at that time, now I had a summer job, I made $1,000. If I would have taken that $1,000, I had a cousin who lived in Batesville, Arkansas. If we went to visit him, I could have gone down the Walmart store. He was just beginning to sell stock when I was in high school. If I would have taken that $1,000, went down there and bought $1,000 worth of shares in Walmart, you know what it would be worth today? $100 million. $100 million. Why didn't I? But the same thing could be true. Why didn't I buy Apple when it first came out? Same thing would have happened. Why couldn't have I done that with Microsoft when Bill Gates started it? The same thing would have happened. In fact, the same thing would have happened if, if even over a few years ago you would have bought Google. The same thing would have happened if you would have bought into YouTube. In fact, right now, if you take every dime you had, probably some of you could scratch together a thousand, but even if it was a hundred dollars, and invest in a company that you knew was going to be worth a hundred million times more in ten years, you'd do it, right? But we don't know which one it is, do we? Nobody knows. If we knew that, we'd we'd all run out and do it. But the problem is we don't. And that's the problem. How do you get to the point where you know where this treasure is? Well, there's, let's look at a couple places in, in, uh, in the Word that talk about this. In, in, um, in Matthew, it, in uh, Matthew 13, 44, if you have Bibles, you might, might want to read it. I almost need some more light here. It talks about this whole idea of 
being a treasure hunter and treasure and finding treasure. In Matthew 13, 44, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a uh, merchant looking for a fine pearl. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The idea of, of finding something of value that no one else knows about, taking all that you have, selling it, investing in that, that treasure, and having, making that treasure your own. This is a parable, what he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This, he says, this is what the spiritual life is like. And I wanted to share just a, a couple quick, uh, several quick thoughts about this, this whole thing. Some things to remember about being, being a treasure hunter. First is the fact that, that um, God has called us all to be treasure hunters. He's called us all to seek treasure. He's called us all to be risk takers, to look, to seek, to find. So often, those of us, uh, and th th this isn't just a, a Christian thing, it's just a, a human nature thing, that we all are just kind of want to just take what's in front of us, what's easy, what's on the lowest shelf. Nobody wants to reach high. Nobody wants to take a risk. Nobody wants to seek and find and work. And That's harder, isn't it? But for those who do, there are rewards. Now, I'm sure your, your folks tell you about this, and it's a, it's a true point, about studying. You know, there's treasures in, in seeking after uh, academic accomplishments so you can get into uh, college, so you can get a better job. The same thing is true when it comes to hard work and making money, to athletic performance, almost anything in life, that he wants us to seek after those things. But also, he wants us to seek after spiritual things as well, that spiritual tre treasure. He wants us to have that adventure, be risk takers, not just to take the low-lying fruit, so to speak. And, and this is part of the meaning when he uh, talks about in Matthew 7, 7, where he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. It's this whole idea that, that we're encouraged to go find those things, to knock, to find, to seek, to look. So first, to be a treasure seeker. That's what we're supposed to do. Secondly, another point about treasure is that all that sparkles is not gold. All that sparkles is not gold. Some of you may have heard, somebody talked about uh, searching for gold. One of the things that uh, the old gold miners, a uh, problem they used to have is they had a thing called fool's gold. Fool's gold was, uh, I think they called it pyrite, which is a combination of iron and some other minerals, and it looks just like gold. And you pick it up, and it's, it's heavy like gold. And so people would strike that, and they'd... Uh, you know, they go celebrate and think they found something of value, when in reality it's basically a rock. It's worthless. And in fact, when you go to buy a, a gold mine, people, they'd see that and they, they'd buy into that, when in reality there wasn't anything there. They were not buying real gold, but they were buying a cheap Im imitation. And I found so often, isn't that true as we talk about being a treasure hunting, something we have to be careful of is not to be fooled by sparkly things. And, and what are those things that sparkle in the world? You know, it's, uh, it's wealth, cars, <laughs> cars sparkle, jewelry sparkles, uh, a lot of different things. Nice things, a lot of nice things that sparkle. 
pretty girl's eyes. Now, be careful with that. <laughs> you might be sharing a little bit more than you should on that, huh? Uh, but, there, but, but there's truth in all of that. But the point is that not all that sparkles is gold. Some time ago, you've, uh, uh, when was this? About a year ago. The greatest uh, uh, Powerball winner of all time won something like, uh, from Ohio, won $350 million or something like that. Some, some unbelievable figure like that. They interviewed him not long ago. And he said in the year and a half since he's won $350 million that he's lost his uh, wife, He's lost his, his, uh, all of his uh, children won't have anything to do with him. None of his grandchildren will have anything to do with him. All of his friends have forsaken him. He doesn't have anybody. He's alone in a big, big mansion. And he says he can't trust anybody because every, all everyone wants is a piece of the, the pie somehow. And he says, I've come to a point when I've realized that really the very things that I want can't be bought by money. They're of no value. I have all the money in the world, but I can't buy what I want. The things I want can't be bought. As we look at other things, the same thing is true. As, uh, as I, if I seen even in my own life, uh, the well, I'm backing up. Some of you may who are into baseball know about Daryl Daryl Strawberry. Some time ago, they they had him. He was one of one of the great baseball players of about 20 years ago. And uh, he was in the Hall of Fame, broke about every record there was, but had uh, tremendous personal problems in his own life. In and out of drug rehab, multiple marriage, couldn't keep relationships, DUIs, lost all of his money. And one of the times when he just, his life was a mess and they were interviewing and had tears in his eyes, he says, I just don't understand it. He says, uh, baseball is so easy, but life is so hard. You know, the easy part of life is baseball, hitting home runs. The hard part is just how do I find the, the secret of just life? Money, fame, all that, I, that doesn't help me find it. And here he is on national television, just tears coming out of his eyes and says, I'm, I'm searching, I'm seeking for truth, for a treasure, but I, I've been looking at the wrong place, and I don't know what to do. The sad thing is nobody on the set knew what to tell him. All he is just weep. How sad, how pathetic. I had to go through a, not, not a, a, similar like Darryl, a similar story like Daryl Strawberry, but I had to go through my own searching experience where I began to realize that sparkly things weren't, didn't really fulfill you. I, I grew up uh, uh, some years ago, <laughs> but when I, uh, when I was in, in high school, my God was uh, sports and was wrestling. I was kind of up north where wrestling was really big. My, uh, I had cousins who uh, wrestled. My brother was on the, 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 the U.S. junior national team and had this, this dining scene. I thought, well, you know, if I can just be really good at wrestling, then that's what life's about. I'll just be happy somehow. Somehow, magically, happiness would just kind of ooze into me as a result of that. But, but working towards that, I took a state once, took it twice, was undefeated for a, for a couple years, got a... Um, uh, a scholarship to a, a D1 school, was in a fraternity, and of course, uh, this is something that I don't, uh, I don't do in my family, but in my family, when you took state for the second time, took state, they uh, bought your brand new sports car. That makes sense, doesn't it? So here I had a brand new shiny sports car. I was in a fraternity, had a, a scholarship, but yet I was completely empty. I can remember being up there 
and just thinking, is this really all there is to it? It's just really, you know, there, I was in my fraternity and fraternity parties, and I'm thinking, is this really, you know, I mean, is this really what it's all about? There's got to be more. There's got to be something else. It's about that time that a friend of mine starts talking to me about a treasure that totally surprised me. I talked about a treasure, but at the time I didn't think it was. He started talking to me about Jesus. He was on the wrestling team, and he was the captain of the team, and he was a pretty awesome athlete. But he t totally turned his life around. He talked about the most important thing in my life is not wrestling. Now, he was an awesome student as well. He was, did, got really good grades. But he says, um, it's, it's knowing Christ personally. And at first I kind of, ooh, this is kind of weird. This is kind of spooky. <laughs> Talking about Jesus, and it's not Sunday, and it's not between 11 and 12, and this is weird. You know, it, it, and it was, it, was, it was crazy weird. It, it's, it was scary, but inviting. You know what I mean? He f scared me to death, but I wanted to be around him. You know, it was one of these love-hate things because I wanted what he had, but it scared me to death, this whole Jesus thing. And that started, and it was, that started where I started looking at this treasure and seeking and saying, is this really true? And uh, some, later, some, some years later, I found out that, that was it. That was the treasure. That was what life was all about. It wasn't the sparkly things. And that I, I learned this third point. He wants us, to, God wants us to be a seeker. Not all the sparkly is, is gold. But often treasure is found in uncommon places, in plain places, what seems to be plain, in average, ordinary fields that other people look at and say, there's nothing there. That's nothing. But yet treasure is there. That's how I felt. When he started talking about God, I thought, that's important? That's a plain place. That's an unimportant place. That's an irrelevant place. There's nothing of value in that. But yet as I began to see the twinkle in his eye and hear him, the, the, him talk about it, and the, saw his life change, I thought, there could be something there that I don't know anything. Maybe I don't know anything about this treasure he's talking about. We already talked about Yates and the idea of them finding gold, in, or gold, but oil in this empty field. It was just rocks out there. Talk about Bill Walton and the fact that when he was, um, you know, in a little bitty town of, of Bentonville, Arkansas, you know, 5,000 people, that uh, uh, it says now there were 5,000 people in the city. Now they have more 18-wheelers in his distribution center in Bentonville than they do citizens. It's 5,000 18-wheelers that leave every day with his stuff. He has more Lear jets in their executive airport than they used to have in the parking lot of Walmart. I mean, it didn't seem like a place where a global organization would happen, but yet it did. It was there in this plain place. The same thing is true when a lot of times when we look at God. The average person looks at that God and his kingdom and sees this plane. In fact, I've described it as kind of an upside down, an, an upside down king with an upside down kingdom. And what do I mean by that? God, now think about this. If, if you're the creator of the universe, you've made all things. You have no beginning, you have no end. You know all things, you're all powerful. You've created all creatures on earth, you've created all of mankind, and you love these creatures so much that you want to come down and reveal yourself to them. That I want to become one of them so they can see me and I could relate to them. As a human being would relate. 
Now, how would you do that? Would you come, I mean, if you had a, a PR firm and you th they sit around this planning meeting and say, okay, uh, you know, and God says, commissions these guys, okay, come up with a plan that's appropriate for me to come down to earth and to reveal myself. Now, what kind of a, an amazing parade and a spectacular event would you, I mean, the Super Bowl would look like nothing, right? That's if you planned it that way. But yet, how did he come? I often thought maybe that PR firm must have got fired after they planned this whole thing, because how did he come? I mean, he, he, he came as a baby. I mean, what, what king of the universe comes as a baby? Well, okay, he comes as a baby, but he comes as a wealthy baby, right? No. Born where? In a hospital? No. In a barn with animals. To a poor family. To a mother who apparently, according to the circumstances, that he's illegitimate. So he lives with this scorn his whole life in a kingdom that's, that's, that's governed by another occupying force, a very cruel occupying force, the Romans. Well, okay, then he grew up and became a wealthy king. No, he became a carpenter, a simple man. And in Psalm says he was not even a super, he wasn't a superman. He was not even a person you would notice on the street. He said he had no form that was spectacular. He was not handsome. He was very average. Why would the creator of the universe come that way? Well, if he came that way, then, then his, his kingdom was spectacular. He came and set up this, this great, amazing political and military power. No, he shunned all that. They tried, as he came and began to speak, they tr on several occasions says, we want to make you king. And he walked away. No, I'm not, I'm not here for that. I'm not here to be a king. You make him a big religious leader. No, I'm, I'm not here for that. Now, he spoke to the masses. But the amazing thing was, he talked about uh, not returning evil for evil. He talked about being a peacemaker. What kind of a military power and king is this? It's an upside-down king. It's an opposite king. And that's who he was. And he came with an op opposite message as well. He came with an, a message of love. He, he came, as we all know the story, the, the, the fact that he came uh, to seek and to save the lost. He came as a servant. Kings in the earth come to be served. He came to serve others and to give his life up for others. And finally, the most amazing thing is his strategy. He didn't set up this huge political machine in this or huge organization. He didn't set up a huge church. He didn't do any of this. What did he do? He spent the vast majority of his time with 12 men, pouring his life into them, teaching them, training them. And then, then he said, it's better that I leave. It's better for me to go and left. My mission is accomplished, he said. And you go, what? What is this about? This doesn't even make sense. And you know, right? You're right. It doesn't make sense, according to our thinking. It's an upside-down God. Often treasures are seen in very plain places that we that we'd often don't understand. Um, as we look around the world, we see this happening more and more. Um, I love, a, there's a passage in Acts where it says, as the gospel began to spread throughout Europe and different places, the disciples of Jesus, because uh, they did internalize those things, and they began to change the world. Jesus knew that this was the best way to change the world, not through any political system, military system, or even any religious system. It's one by one, small group by small group. 
as they walked into one particular city, they, the news about them spread to all, everyone around. And as they walked in and began to preach, the, the city elders were just in, up in arms. They came together and says, these men who have turned the world upside down are here too. They're just in a panic. They're going to turn our world upside down. That was their reputation. Just a few people turned the world upside down. We're seeing the same thing today as you talk about different places in the world. Uh, and you spend a lot of time talking about this. But in, in China, they estimate over 20,000 people a day are baptized in a joining church. Not big institution, but house churches. They meet just like this. Hundreds, 150 million meet just like this, just like we're doing here. They don't have churches. They're not allowed to have churches. They meet just in people's homes like this. They probably work out the parking better than we do. But, uh, <laughs> in, fact, in fact, if you had a group this large, it would be, the, the police would break in because it's just too many. You'd have to meet even smaller than that. The same thing is happening in India. There's one particular Muslim country that I, that I was in contact with not long ago. I worked with an organization, mission organization that does that, Campus Crusade. And they were talking about in one particular country over the last 15 years, they've seen a hundred, uh, they've seen a million baptisms of Muslims. Whole villages are coming to Christ. And some, the, the, the imam, which is the, um, the, basically the Muslim preacher, uh, are even trusting Christ and beginning to share the gospel with, all their, with everyone in the, at the mosque. Many of them are trusting Christ. And one, there was even in the, the, the national capital newspaper, they said that this whole, the, uh, an imam stood up and talked about Jesus to the whole village. They all trusted Christ. They all he told them, tomorrow bring all your, your Qurans, brought all their Qurans and threw all their Qurans into the river. And they all, and they declared that they were all Christians now. Now, I would have necessarily said to do that, but that's what they chose to do. They're life changers. One at a time, lives are being changed. It seemed, the strategy seemed very plain, but yet that's what, but God, but Jesus knew that that would change the world. Talked about we need to seek be a treasure hunter, that not all is uh, sparkly as gold, that we, uh, go, treasures are often found in plain fields. But also when we, when we find a treasure, to, it says that we don't dabble in it, we don't make a down payment on it, but we said they had to give all to buy it. It takes our all. If we're going to seek and, seek and to find the treasure of God, we can't just stick in one toe. We can't just play in it. We can't take a weekend in it. We can't do it once a week from 9 to 11. It takes our whole lives. Everything that we are, totally dedicated to Him. That's how we find the treasure. And in, in, in uh, Romans 12, often it talks about that, that we need to present our entire bodies to Him as a living and holy sacrifice. That's what He meant. That's what it means to buy it. You can't buy the things of God with money. It can't be purchased with money, with accomplishments or deeds or fame. It's with our lives only. That's always the way it's been. And in fact, one of the one things I was reading in the Old Testament lately, and you, you, this may sound a little obscure, but, but at the same time, it relates so perfectly to what I'm talking about, giving our all. And this might sound a little graphic, but I think it's appropriate for, for the audience in what we're talking about. In the Old Testament, they practiced something called uh, circumcision, which is the fact that in order that when, when um, and this is something that God set up. Man didn't invent this. 
You think, what a weird thing. Why would God, from a guy's perspective, it's even more weird. Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> but the fact that, that the way you demonstrate that you are a follower of the, of the creator of the universe is that, that you had to cut off the foreskin, your foreskin. And that, that's, and that is how, now, I am not, I am not making this up. This was instituted, that was the only, that was the only physical, that was the only physical way that people could demonstrate that they were a follower of God. But why? Why would God do such an absurd, strange thing? There was, there was reason behind it. Because he knew that the most intimate part of our lives, he wanted you to dedicate the most intimate part of your life to him. To say that my life is about him and God's kingdom and my relationships, my marital relationships, everything about me is dedicated to God, down to the most intimate part of my life, even my sex life. I will not enter into a relationship with anyone that God does not approve of. That's the pledge. That's the pledge. That's what it meant. You know, you think, why didn't you just wear a ring or put an earring in your ear or in your nose? But no, because that's, that's peripheral, right? This was very intimate, very personal, and a very deep commitment. God asks no less of us. When he says all, that's one of the biggest areas he's talking about, is our relationships, how we relate to people. And it's, it's our intimate, the fact that, that there's a commitment to purity and to having relationships only the way God wants. He wants to bless us with a certain kind of relationship. To find the treasure that God wants us to have, we have to follow in that way. We have to give all. That's how we find the treasure. Finally, once, once we've found the treasure, we realize that we don't, we're not messing with fool's gold. We might have to find it in an obscure place. We have to dedicate ourselves completely to it. Finally, when you find a treasure, you have to share it. Treasures are to be shared. In, uh, in Romans 10, my last point here, in Romans 10, 13, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed? In? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Feet are not typically something you think of that are that beautiful. Typically... Feet are typically looked at something that's kind of ugly. But God, what does God treasure? Isn't this interesting? What does God treasure? God treasures feet. He loves feet who share about his treasure. He didn't say he loves mouths. He doesn't love tongues. He's talking about feet. It's the idea of taking, of, of walking and going and, and sharing. You know, sharing about the, the, the person who Jesus Christ is and the treasure we have, the forgiveness of sin, eternal life. He has victory over sin and eternal life. But what, is it, what does it mean 
to, to share that. You know, we talk about this treasure. I want to I pass around a, a picture in closing here. Again, I wish I had a, uh, an overhead, but we'll just have to look at this. As you, as you glance at this, pass it around quickly. Here, let me show it up quickly. It's kind of hard to see. You have a picture of, uh, this is in Darfur. This is a, a 1994 Pulitzer uh, Prize winning photo taken in Darfur of Africa, you know, where they, they have all the um, people starving together. And it's, it won a Pulitzer Prize, and it's by a person by the name of Kevin uh, Carter. And you see a vulture crouching very close to this naked, half-starving baby, about four or five years old. And he, he tells the story that, that there's this group of people that, during the war that uh, were starving to get death, and many of the family members were killed. And as he's walking, and these refugees are walking to the UN refugee camp. And he's there taking pictures of this. And there's this one party that went through, and they, this little emaciated child couldn't go any further. So she just crouched there and just was waiting death, seemingly. And there's a vulture there who just wouldn't even put out enough effort, just kind of waiting for something to happen for dinner. He took this picture. And uh, he won a Pulitzer Prize, which means you get like $100,000. He, he was a South African. They, they gave him a free ticket to New York City. They whined and dined him, and they had him speak in front of this thing, this great picture, and just depicting the awful things that happened. And he talked, and they asked all these technical questions and, um, after, you know, during the, the time. And he gave a speech about Darfur and just the terribleness of the situation. And finally, they had a question and answer time. And of course, there's a few people that asked some technical questions about the picture and how he took it. Finally, somebody says, sir, what, whatever happened to the little girl? And he goes, I don't know. And, there's, and there was just like that. There's this gasp went out in the crowd. What? There's this, I mean, people just audibly gasp. And in other words, and you could tell he, he realized what had happened. He realized what he'd said. And he just, and he tried to kind of cover it up. And he tried to kind of, and it's like the meeting was over. I mean, no one would ask. I mean, people were just indignant. They just, they, they beside themselves. How could you be there and not know what happened? How could you take a picture of it? How could you get $100,000 and not know what happened to that baby? And he tried to make all the excuses. And, and, and afterwards, they just got all these reviews, and he got hounded in the press, and he, and he just kind of had to leave town, and all this press, and he was constantly hounded, couldn't get any more jobs. And the, uh, true story, within about six months, he killed himself. He was so distraught, so convicted, so just um, could not deal with the grief in the, the, that people had for this that he actually committed himself. True story. You look it up on the Internet. Of course, everything on the internet is true, right? <laughs> but isn't this a lot what we do? I mean, we, we, we're aghast at this, and it is. It's a ghastly thing. How could somebody see something so clearly and could help and be involved, and they walk away from it? But isn't that the same thing when we do? We talk about the treasure of God. It's offered. He told us to seek. We, we see it there. We know we can have it. We know what, what's involved. But what do we do? Nothing. And walk away? Is that any less horrific and terrible? No, it's not. We've, we're given the same choice. We see it clearly. 
Will we look at the picture clearly? Look at the treasure clearly? We know what's there and walk away from it and treat it trifling? Finally, when um, I, was, I was at this point in my life. I told you a little bit of my life. and I was at, I'd, I'd come to a point where I trusted Christ, but I wasn't really sure that I wanted to just give my life to the Lord and really pursue this treasure of Christ and following Him. And um, I, I'd begin to grow in my faith. One thing I began to realize is that the, the importance of Jesus Christ, and I, I decided that, you know, what I want to do this summer, uh, and I, I after my first year at university. I went home, I was going to see all my high school buddies, and I thought, well, you know, if it comes up, I'd like to maybe talk to them about Jesus. Maybe, I don't know, I don't know. They might think it's weird. Well, the first night I went home, and back then, drive-in movies were really big. That's kind of a lost art. It's, they, were, they were the greatest thing back then. That's, nobody went to watch the movies. You went to visit your friends, and it was just hang out. And I didn't even go home. I drove home from college, went right to the drive-in movie. And all my buddies were in the back, and they were just catching up after a year of being at school. And I was uh, talking with an old high school buddy of mine and said, and he says, well, how was your first year in college? Has anything exciting happened to this year? And, oh, yeah, no, not much. And he says, and it was just, and it was just him and I. And he says, did, did college life change you at all this year? What a setup. And it's like the Holy Spirit says, talk to him about it. Tell him about me. And I go, oh, no, not much. You know, I was thinking, oh, you know, he'll think I'm strange. He'll think I'm weird. And, and we started talking, and then a bunch of other, my other buddies came up. Oh, good, I don't have to talk to him because all these people are around. Well, then they all left, and he starts asking me more questions about my life. And he starts asking me some personal questions and just started sharing some things that, you know, I, says, I, you know, I just don't really know. I don't know. I just don't know if that's what I'm really cracked up to do. I'm just really looking for something new, I don't, and I don't know what it is. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. That was my response, yeah. Well, maybe we can talk about it sometime. I need to go. And, the, and my friend said, says, uh, well, I, I can't stand around talking longer. I had plenty of time, but he, he just kind of got bored and says, I'm going to leave. So he, movie wasn't even over, but it was, as, like I said, nobody cares about the movie. He was ready to go home. He got in his car, pulled out of the driveway, uh, out of the, uh, the um, drive-in movie, right out into the highway and was hit by an 18-wheeler. The 18-wheeler went right through his car and killed him instantly. Right there, after I just said, after I was just talking to him about Jesus, or not talking to him about Jesus. He was asking me, what's life about? And the Lord said, talk to him, talk to him, talk to him. Oh, I got time. I'll do it later. I don't know. And it was over. That was it. That was my chance. Philip Jensen was his name. I have no idea where Philip Jensen was. No idea. His family didn't go to church. Talking about the treasure, then I decided for the first time in my life, I've got to give my whole life to this treasure. I can't play with this. This is a valuable, this could have saved this guy's life eternally. But I didn't treat it as special. It was nothing. It was average. It was normal. It was just something I did. At that point, I decided never again. This is special. This treasure is to be cherished. And I'm going to, to the best of my ability, not that I've always succeeded, try to, to, to live accordingly and to share accordingly what this special treasure is. You have the same opportunity. 
You've been given a special treasure that he wants you to know about and to commit your life to and to share. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word, for the treasure you've given to us. You've revealed it to us. In, in essence, it's kind of a strange treasure. We don't immediately see it as treasure at first, but you revealed it to us. Help us to dedicate our lives completely to you and to your treasure and to telling other people how special that treasure is. Pray for everyone here is, uh, that you would bless them as they talk about uh, to friends at uh, TC or other uh, campuses around that they're involved in, that they would help others to understand that not all that's uh, sparkly is gold and that the, the most amazing treasures can be seen and found in seemingly plain places, and it's in your kingdom. Give them boldness and wisdom in your spirit. 